Welcome once again to the Propreneur Podcast, where we help practice owners become better entrepreneurs. I'm your host, Dino Watt. And once again, everybody, welcome to the Propreneur Podcast. So excited to have you here today, especially on a topic that is really near and dear to my heart, something that I've been studying and working on for close to 20 years now self-improvement and personal development and making that a priority inside of your profession. And we have somebody who not only legitimizes this, but also someone who, uh, you know, is a bit of a celebrity in the dental world. You know, the, the winner of Dentistry's Got Talent, a really gifted speaker. I love listening to him. Dr. Ankar Gupta, welcome to the show. Oh, thank you, Dino. Hey, I'm loving your podcast, by the way. Oh, thank you very much. That means a lot to me. Well, I appreciate it. And if you listening to the show right now are like Dr. Gupta and you love listening to it too, make sure that you are sharing it with your friends and colleagues so they can get in on these best practices that we're always trying to provide for you as a listener. Today, Dr. Gupta, we're really going to dive into this idea of making self-improvement a priority, even if, and I know everybody's saying, oh, I don't have time for that, even if you're a busy dental professional or as a dent, uh, busy dental professional as well. But before we dive into all of that, let's talk about your story. I love to get into the story of my guest and find out what brought you to this moment here. How'd you get involved into the practice that you did? Love to hear the good, the bad, the ugly that made you want to get into your business. Sure, Dino. Well, um, I, I actually went to college to become a U.S. history teacher. That was my, my big dream. Really? Yeah, either U.S. history or world history, because I really enjoyed those subjects in high school. So I go to college, and I was just a very good student. And I remember coming home after, after the, my freshman year, and I got really good grades. And my dad was like, yo, so what do you really want to do when you grow up? And I was like, I want to be a teacher. And so I'm Indian. Um, and what you would probably notice if you knew a lot of people with a who had parents who, with Indian ethnicity is that their parents find it very inconceivable for their children to not go into either healthcare or engineering. So I was, um, I was a very obedient kid. So my dad was like, you know, I think you should rethink this. I think you should go into healthcare or something like that. In my mind, I thought that was to become a physician. I was like, dad, yo, all of your friends who are physicians, they, they're like, they're at work all the time. I'm too lazy for that. And then I'm telling you, and I'm not, I'm not exaggerating here, Dino. My dad pulls out this like artwork from when I was a kindergartner or first grade, some crappy little artwork that where I drew that when I'm going to grow up, I'm going to be a dentist. I don't remember this. I don't remember any ever drawing. I don't remember ever wanting to be a dentist. And he's like, yo, look, you wanted to be a dentist when you were a little kid. And I was like, dad, I, I don't remember this at all. And so anyway, um, but the idea was something that I couldn't, that I didn't have any good argument against. I was like, all right, um, sure. I will start taking the classes that will ultimately lead me to become a dentist. But dad, I really like teaching. I really like history. I like teaching. And he kept telling me, and I don't know if he was genuine or not, but he said, listen, if you get into dental school and you become a dentist, you can teach as much as you want. You can talk about world history as much as you want. And I don't know if he was just saying that in order to appease me and allow me to still go to dental school and pursue that. 
Um, but he was actually right. I do a tremendous amount of teaching now. I do Absolutely. a lot of, I do a lot of um, talk about history, and that is, that's been wonderful for me because um, I get to do a lot of these things that I'm very passionate about. And dentistry affords me a, a lifestyle where that flexibility is there, and I don't think a lot of professions allow that. Well, I love that, and I'm so glad that your dad actually kept that piece of. Uh, the innocence of you not knowing and and being in a space of not remembering, but from the mouth of babes, right? Of like, this is what I want to do. And now is able to put you on this path. And I 100% agree that what you do, and for those of you who have not seen what Dr. Gupta does, like you are a teacher and you teach from that stage. When you are out there presenting, you are teaching in a very powerful way too. So I love that you're able to do that. And I'm sure you know, I haven't been able to see you in your practice, but I'm sure in your practice, that's absolutely the case too. You're teaching your team members how to live better lives and how to want for more and to be great uh, team members and your patients and how to actually strive for more, whether it be learning how to brush their teeth and floss their teeth, which I'm sure isn't one of your greatest or finest subjects that you love to talk <laughs> about. But like that ability to teach is so powerful. That's really cool. Yeah, I appreciate that. So actually you're right. Um, so I went to dental school at University of Michigan and my wife was also uh, my, I mean, she wasn't my wife at the time, but uh, right. my future wife was in my class. And so uh, we got married right after graduating and then we did a residency together. And then we started this practice from scratch. And wow. I mean, we totally sucked as business people. We had no idea what we were doing, et cetera. Um, little by little, we learned a lot of core business principles um, that set us on a very positive trajectory. But the the relationship building aspect of running the practice was something that we never struggled with. And I think that the the reason why was because storytelling is a major part of being a dentist. Um, it's when a patient has an issue in their mouth. Dentistry is this weird profession where the patient doesn't know about it a lot of the times, you know, in, in, when you go to a physician, it's because you have a problem. Sure, when you sure. go to a dentist, you have no problem. And then the dentist all of a sudden brings up problems. Brings out the problem. Right. Yeah. And, and that is, uh, that puts you in a very precarious situation in terms of trust and in terms of loyalty. But if you tell stories, telling stories connects to people completely different than just saying, I found a cavity, you have perio disease, blah, 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 blah. It's a very different thing to tell stories and get people engaged as opposed to, as opposed to, um, as opposed to just telling people what they need with their teeth. And so that was something that I feel kind of lucky that I have that. I didn't, you know, that's awesome because I've never really put that together of that, the power of that. I love stories. I love obviously telling stories from the stage, stuff like that. But really such a smart and insightful way to look at that is as a dentist to be able to get them involved, to get them to, um, to want to take action around a story is a lot easier than you needed. You need to do this, right? Most people don't do what they need to do anyway. They do what they want to do right. but to get them involved in that story of it. Uh, give us, I, I want to drill down to this a little bit more because I think that's fascinating how do you use that story? Can you give us some examples of how you use the story in your own practice or stories in your practice? Yeah. Okay. So I think one of the biggest examples is periodontal disease. 
And what I, tr perio is like a very difficult concept to explain to a patient in turn, in a way that they're going to feel motivated. But don't you think? I mean, yeah. it's well, it's well, you just using the word perio alone is like, well, yeah, whatever disease. Okay. That scares me. Yeah. But what do you mean? And, and so, okay. So I, I will say something like, um, you know, I, I know my gums bleed too, you know? I mean, sometimes if I floss hard enough, my gums will bleed. And I, I understand that you, when you hear me talk about your gums bleeding or you hear me talk about how you're not brushing well enough, that doesn't mean anything to you. But let me yeah. tell you, let me tell you about my grandmother growing up in India and the fact that she she wanted to do everything right in terms of how she conducted her life, how she wanted to raise her children. She wanted, she only had good intentions. And when she was 35, all of her teeth fell out of her mouth. And it's not because she ate too much sugar. It's not because she was just negligent. It was because nobody told her that, Hey, listen, the fact that your gums are bleeding, the fact that your breath is getting stinky is actually, it has to do with the disease. It's not, it's not just a part of getting old. And, and then she had to live the, the more than 50% of her life where chewing food was a little bit more of a challenge. Now, I don't think that you're anywhere near that. I mean, you're already older than she than when she was when she lost her teeth. You're nowhere near that. But the thing is, that's the insidious nature about periodontal disease. It just show it just doesn't hurt, doesn't hurt, doesn't hurt. And then you gotta lose all your teeth. I just don't want that to happen to you. Okay. That just really connected with me in a way because as you were saying that I wrote that I think a lot of people would probably come to you. I can imagine this and I would do this myself of like, look, I'm not eating this. I'm not eating that. Or I'm, I'm eating healthy. I don't eat snacks. I don't eat sugar, you know, whatever excuse they have. I'm a vegan, whatever. But it's not about that. It's about what you're not doing to your teeth, what you're not, the preventative things that you're doing, right? When I see that story in my mind's eye of your grandmother who, like you said, she didn't eat sugar all day long. She didn't have, you know, bad quality of food or whatever it was. Oh, she didn't know how to, didn't know it was important to take care of the flossing and the brushing and all that. Yeah. Yeah. So that's wow. just an example. I like, that's the thing. I like telling stories. So that comes, it, it, it comes naturally. Um, but I just feel like any interaction I have, if it's a story based, the engagement is just so much stronger. Wow. That's really, really cool. I love that. Um, you're telling a history story just a moment ago, right? When you're talking about your grandmother. So like we're going back to your history roots of loving history. When you um, see your industry as the evolution of what's going on, how do you use your knowledge and your love of history to propel people to their future? Is it strictly through the story? Is it through education? What are oh. you doing? That's a good question. No, uh, Dino, I would love to give you a profound answer and be like, yeah, <laughs> here's the connection. But that's not what happens. Most of the time, you know, when we're dentists, we have a captive audience. And most of the time, I like explaining a particular world event or concept to my dental assistant as a way of entertaining my patient, mm -hmm. right? So 
it'll be the the 100 year anniversary of when you know some guy shot some other guy and that propelled <laughs> the world into world war one and i'll be like i'll be like hey dental assistant do you understand do, do you kind of know what happened she's like dude i've never even heard of that guy before and i'll be like okay let me tell you all about it. And then it's just a means of entertainment. Yeah, yeah. I wish I could transform that into a way in which it would make my practice more successful, blah, 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 blah. But it's just, it's entertainment. And, it's and it, you are. And it, it satisfies that particular itch for me. And then it also, it's, it's entertaining for the people around me. That's awesome. That like, uh, it's like that watching, watching the trivia shows, like the Jeopardies or whatever, like you kind of know, and then you hear a story like, just like, I didn't know that. That's actually really cool. And you're that, you're the Alex Trebek, if you will, yeah. of your dental office. That's really cool. Well, let's talk about, let's get into some of this idea um, of how to actually make self-improvement a priority in your life. Has this been something that you've always had a desire for about that self-improvement? Now, when we talk about self-improvement, I think it's also good to uh, drill down. Everyone's obviously trying to improve the way they run their practice or the way that they do their skill that they do. What are you talking about when you talk about self-improvement? So for the past seven years, I've been giving talks to either dentists or societies, and it's all been about the same stuff that uh, there's a million other people out there talking about, how to run a more efficient, more profitable practice, case acceptance, uh, marketing, customer service, et cetera. And that's great. And there's, there's nothing wrong with that. However, I felt unfulfilled when there were people who they started doing some of the advice that I had recommended, but their life still sucked, right? If you have tremendous case acceptance and you're making a ton of money, but your relationships are poor, your anxieties with your life and your home are poor, if your body is breaking down, if you don't have the energy to enjoy the life and all of that income that you brought in, then you're in a way you're failing. You know, in my eyes, our lives are just like a bunch of buckets, right? Like imagine a room and there's 30 buckets and one bucket is named financial health and another bucket is named philanthropic identity and another bucket is physical health and diet and posture. And there, there's just all of these buckets. I think the insidious nature of life is that all of these buckets have a little hole at the bottom of them. And if you put a tremendous amount of effort towards filling one of those buckets up and then you ignore it, eventually it'll just deplete, it'll become empty again. And so the people, in my opinion, who are the best at life, the ones who win, who are just people that I really look up to, that I see as role models, they have managed to keep a lot of buckets full. And so after, after years of just being a kind of a dental practice management um, speaker, I started thinking, well, what if I talk to people about sleep or talk to people about stress or talk to people about relationships? How would that go? Would people show up? Um, would people care to listen? And I realized that that is a that is a place where there's a lot of people who just, they want to create that balance. They want to develop strategies. They just need a little bit of help. And I, and I believe that I can offer a few roadmaps to, to get to that point where that balance is there. 100%. And you are, uh, I like to use the word disrupting that 
thought process too in that in that industry in that way i'll tell you i'll have i have personal experience with this i've been uh honored to be able to watch you speak a few times and the most recent time when you talked about posture and you know the neck and being a, a dentist and the challenges with that and you gave some amazing statistics but i watched as every single person in that room when you said you know here's a way to overcome that and it was the sitting back and pulling your head back more right and doing that double chin you watched everybody in the room do it. It wasn't yeah. just to that that audience of like, you're not speaking to a, um, a, a, let me say it this way. Your topic isn't just to your colleagues, it's to everyone because we all can relate to that. Whether it be being on our phones. I don't sit, I don't sit in a chair every day with my head cricked over somebody's mouth. I don't, I don't do that. But I am at a computer or I'm watching my phones or whatever. And so your topic really touched on so many other people. And this is why I say it's a pattern interrupter or a disruptor because people need to hear that. And they, they're starving for it and they're getting fed in many other ways. It's great. But this is a way that people want to know more about it. And I, I think it's great. I think it's very, very smart of you. I love it. You know, if I could share something, I think one big fear that I have is that I'm going to work, 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 and just like have this crazy, awesome practice and make a ton of money and save it and put it aside. And then when that day of retirement actually comes and that I'm going to walk away from dentistry, but I'm not going to be able to enjoy life because the cumulative effect of crappy habits from that 30 year career of working is going to make it so that life is just not that enjoyable, that yeah, I won't be able to move around like I currently take for granted. That's a, man, that's a big fear that I have. And I just wonder if older dentists that are older than me fear the same thing, or if dentists that are younger than me fear that some type of bodily disability might not allow them to practice as long as they were hoping. And if we could just instill a few tools, just a few tools to make it so that we're, we're better, um, a lot of that fear can be dissuaged. Well, am I wrong in believing that it's the same type of, uh, I guess it'd be a crossover to when you're talking to your patients, for the most part, it's just a few little tools that'll make all the difference in the world with their mm -hmm. health, health of their teeth. And it's the same thing, right? It's a few little tools that will make the difference in your self-improvement. Yeah, that's true. Hey, you know, you had mentioned earlier, you, you, when you were giving an example of somebody who was eating well, and you said, oh, you know, I'm a vegan. You know, think about just what that word, the connotation of that word. You take a person who eats a standard American diet and you just say the word vegan. And it's like so unrelatable. It's just mind, but like, Right. It's like, that's like moving from Earth to Mars, right? It's true. It's so unrelatable. But if you take that same person who has for their entire life ate a standard American diet and you say, listen, I want on Sunday, how do you feel about just filling up a handful of ball jars with your favorite vegetable, whether it's, you know, carrots or, or red cabbage or red peppers or something like that? And that when you, go, when you go to work, you just go to, just pack that with your lunch. So you're just eating something healthy every single yeah. day. That's like, oh, wait, is it, I can do that. Yeah. Everybody can do that. It's doable. Know? So I just chop up some vegetables. And then maybe they start feeling that, they start feeling the effects of that. And they say, okay, I, well, 
I, I can bring more healthy stuff to lunch or, you know, I can actually start creating salads that I actually enjoy. Um, I can start doing these certain differences and then maybe eventually they'll be like, you know, I think I could become a vegan as opposed to saying yeah. right, every single freaking thing about your life and, and do this totally, um, this totally unrelatable transition. I just think little tools are the little tools are the key in my opinion to every, every element of, dis, of success. I a hundred percent agree. I agree. It's that, well, if you look at the, um, the power of habit by Charles Duhigg, right? He talks in there about how everything we do is a habit. Every choice we make, we think it's a decision. It's not, it's a habit that we've created. And more importantly, it's not even the habit that makes it happen. It's the micro habit that makes it happen. Yes. And so like you said, like, is the micro habit going to be just that one, the, the salad that you're going to take to work on top of the corn dog, right? <laughs> or whatever it is, right, right. where it's like just adding that little bit to it. So what I love here is what I'm getting is that when you talk about self-improvement, you're really focused on the self-improvement of your mind, your money, your health, your relationships, your friendships, that it's all the self. Yes. Yes. That's really powerful. All the buckets. Identifying what are the buckets that are important to you and then creating a strategy to start filling those buckets incrementally. Well, let me ask you this then, because you talk to obviously a lot of your colleagues uh, from the stage or when you're talking to them personally, um, what is their number one uh, challenge, if you will, around focusing on themselves with the self-improvement? Well, this one's pretty obvious, but it, it's, it's the number one. You asked me the number one, so I'm going to tell you the number one. Yeah. It's, it's uh, the burden of debt. The burden of debt is the in my opinion, is the most insidious, mm. uh, it's the most insidious barrier to happiness in our culture today. Let me give you an example. About three years ago, I visited a dentist, dentist office. He hired me so that I could motivate his staff to use better customer service so that they could have more patients and have better case presentation and make more money. That's why he hired me. And I talked to him for a while. He made a great income, great income, okay? But he was, he, he was going to pay some dude to fly out to his office and talk, teach his staff how that he can make a better income. And I found out the reason he hired me, it wasn't so that he could make a better income. It's because he was so financially encumbered. Uh, the student loan, practice loan, he bought the building where the practice was in, his, the two cars that he had, he, he borrowed money, home equity, in order to finish the basement. Um, he had so many financial burdens that he needed the practice to he needed the practice to perform at such a level so that it could satisfy all those financial burdens and i think that the 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 thing that really broke my heart about this was at one point i was like dude why do you need to buy a new car every 3 years and he goes well Listen, I, I worked really hard for this dental practice and I don't want other people to think that I'm not doing well. And what broke my heart about that was this, this guy was a full-fledged adult, yet he was so insecure with himself that he was still thinking about what other people thought of him. Mm. And I thought, man, how am I gonna help this guy? You know, there's, there's technique, there's tools, 
But in the end, you know, there's all of us carry like our insecurity and our voids. And sometimes we fill those voids with the most irresponsible decisions. And a lot of times that comes from material purchases with borrowed money. And then I, I got to tell you that it kills people. It kills people. It makes people look old before they become old. Yeah. It makes people hunch over before they should be hunched over. And it makes people's relationships poor. Because if you're constantly thinking about how you're going to pay that next bill, that takes up a tremendous amount of bandwidth in your head. A hundred percent. It's the insatiable beast that never sleeps, that never leaves your side, that's always in the back of your mind, that actually helps you or doesn't help you. It actually hinders you from making powerful decisions in your life because you got to feed that first. And living in that fear every single day and that concern, I a hundred percent agree. I'm very much in, in, uh, in supporter of the minimal lifestyle and understanding that it's the, you can't let that debt own you. So that's the challenge that they have with that self-improvement, right? Because it's going to take away time, uh, money, time in their practice, uh, the it ability to actually, because they're focused on that. Bandwidth, right? Yeah. It's yeah. Bandwidth. That it, you're, we only have so much. Yep. We don't have this much capacity. You yep. might have, you might have 128. I might have 116. It doesn't matter. We all have our own capacity. Yep. Once we start exceeding our capacity, we become jerks. We become lazy. We make stupid decisions. We become meaner to other people. We, we solve problems worse. Once we start getting to the, to, the, to the excesses of our capacity. To identify our capacity, that's one thing. But then also to realize that there's a lot of optional things that are currently taking up our capacity. I know it. I like fancy stuff. I like luxurious stuff. But I also know that living simply allows me to have much more accessible bandwidth. Am I making sense here? hundred percent. And so living simply and deciding to drive my car for another year or two so that I can save up and I can pay for my next car with cash, that takes, that takes a tremendous burden away from my bandwidth. And uh, and so debt, I mean, debt is a big thing. In my opinion, it's a, it's a huge thing for me. Um, now, of course, I talk a lot about physical health and relationships, but if you need to be your best self when you, when you encounter new changes in life. And one way to be your best self is to free yourself of a lot of your burdens. It's interesting. As you were saying that, I thought of the idea, you know, people say, you know, people who uh, maybe didn't have the best uh, physical health and then got into health. And there's that saying that uh, nothing tastes as good as skinny feels or, or, or health feels or whatever, <laughs> yeah. right? It's like yeah. really debt is the weight that you put on. Yeah. And nothing feels as good as having money in the bank that you know doesn't belong to somebody else before you actually have earned it. Oh, right. You're so right, man. Um, it's interesting because um, I'm going to ask you this. I haven't asked this question on the show before. So my my uh, core value, my vision in my for my business is to reverse the direction of divorce, addiction, and suicide amongst private practice owners and help them become better leaders at, in the office and levers at home. Um Obviously, in your industry, suicide's a huge burden. It's a challenge that we need to address more and more. Where do you see the lack of the willingness to have the self-improvement, to ask for help, to be legitimate with people, to focus only on what people see, right? Like your, the, the example of the person that you talked about. Where do you see this fitting in to helping overcome this challenge of suicide in your industry? 
So I, I, I think about this a lot. I, I think about when am I feeling most low? Now I'm lucky enough. Um, I, I never, I, I've been, I've been blessed with a mind that is maybe more positive than average. Right. right. So, so I've never been pulled down to a very low depth, but I've always, I, but I often am pulled down low enough where I'm like, man, I'm just not enjoying what I'm doing right now. And this is how I kind of feel about dentistry in general. When we do more dentistry and therefore do more work and therefore make more money, we, that, that making of more money often is preceded by doing more dentistry. Okay. When you do more dentistry, more things go wrong. If you place more implants, you're going to have more failed implants. If you do more crowns, you're going to have more crowns in which the patient has sensitivity afterwards, et cetera, et cetera. And the thing is, a lot of dentists are conscientious people. They want to do good. They want to do well. They're, they try their best. But life happens. I mean, we do dentistry and the patient, as a result of our dentistry, the patients sometimes suffer. It doesn't happen a lot, but it happens. So when I do say, just the other day, I did a couple fillings. A patient came back and was like, Doc, I can't eat on this side anymore. That's not something that just bounces off of me. I internalize that. That's a hard thing for me to deal with. I say, wow, that sucks. You were feeling fine. Then you came into my office, paid me money. I stuck a needle in your face. I drilled on your tooth and now you're in pain and you can't eat on this. That sucks. Mm -hmm. That hurts. And I realized that for many people, having that, having that psychological burden of potentially hurting other people, which is a byproduct of what we do, we sometimes hurt people. That's a difficult thing to tolerate. So let me take you back to this debt thing. And I was hoping to, you know, actually I have all this other posture stuff and diet, <laughs> about, but let's go back to the debt because this yeah. is important. Yeah. When you have a lot of financial burdens, you are going to say yes to every opportunity to do dentistry that there is, aren't you? If yep. you have a lot of financial burdens, yep. it wants those three crowns done, you're gonna say yes. If you don't have as many financial burdens, you may slow down and you're gonna do the dentistry, you're gonna do it right, you're gonna slow down, you're gonna do it at a pace that you're comfortable with. And yes, the, the uh, small percentage of poor outcomes are still gonna happen, but they're gonna happen at a lower frequency than they would if you were a lot busier. And so for me, again, I, I feel like Financial burden is one of the major, major cruxes. And a lot of practice management speakers out there, they, their solution to financial burden is to make more money, to yeah. do more dentistry so you can make more money, so you can take care of that financial burden. I would like to offer an alternative approach to that. Well, you definitely are. And I, I, I think that's so insightful. It's also the idea around being able to see that when you have that financial burden and I'm I, look, I'm just going to put out there. I'm hoping that nobody in who's listening to this show would ever do this, but look, I think there's a humanistic side of you that when you are burdened with so much finance, you might not be making the best choice all the time for your patient too. I think you're that's thinking a, that's a temptation that every single one of us have had. Right. You know, I, I would love to say that I'm a conscientious, good enough person where I've never acted on that temptation, 
but the area is gray. Yeah, and so that I think that it's a temptation that we've all had. Absolutely. And I, I mean, I, I definitely have in my business, right. I taken on a client who I'm like, yeah, they're going to be not probably the best fit, but I could use the money or we could do that. Yeah, you're right. It's, it's a, it's a burden that we all carry and the, the higher that debt rate, the, the worse it gets. Well, let's do this. Let's take a little bit of a shift and let's talk a little bit about some other areas where people can make their own self-improvements. When we are talking about the mindset, when we're talking about the physicality of things, what are some areas that you like to focus in on to help people make quick but long-lasting shifts? Well, okay. So I know that you heard me speak at the, at the conference back in January. So I apologize yeah. for being repetitive. Oh, um, you're fine. You know, I'm sure your listeners didn't all hear the same one. That's right. Um, so... I have a colleague, a dentist, he's about 20 years older than I am, um, and he can't put on shirts anymore. Do you remember me telling this story? Yep, yep. His, uh, his, his head is like in front of his shoulders, like it's not on top of his shoulders. If you drew a line from shoulder to shoulder, his nose wow. would be below that line. He looks like Quasimodo, and I know he wouldn't be mad at me if I said that, I, because me and him have joked around about this before. He looks like Quasimodo. His head is so far in front of his, his neck, his shoulders. And um, he can't put on shirts. He can't lift his arms up above over his head. He can't pull a shirt on over his head. And he told me how unbelievably frustrated it is to sit on airplanes, to put on clothing, to try to lift things up from the ground because he has the inability to lift his arms over his head. And he said, Gupta, whatever you do, keep an eye on your posture. And I was like, man, I've been a dentist for 20 years. I still, there are certain angles where I still have to lean my whole head over, you know, like mm. and my loops and my little uh, light on my glass. I still lean over. And I realized dentistry is going to make it harder for me to maintain positive po posture my whole life. However, Dino, we have our computers now, we have our phones, all this kind of stuff. There's a lot of things that all of us can do on a daily basis to make sure that our head stays on top of our shoulders. So for those of you who are listening in their car, this is what I want you to do. You're sitting in your car. I want you with your vision still straight in front of you at the windshield, I want you to just smash the back of your head against your headrest. Okay, give yourself a double chin, make all that flesh that's under your chin kind of bunch up. And what you'll notice is that all of those muscles behind your neck will just activate. And you do it for like five, 10 seconds, maybe a couple breaths, and then you relax. So what I did is I selfied myself with a double chin and I hang it from my uh, rear view mirror. So you know how some people have dice hanging? Mine is a selfie of myself <laughs> with a double chin. So now when I drive, I'm telling you, Dino, it works. It's like myself. I sit in the car and then I'll, I'll look at my rear view mirror and I'll be like, oh yeah. And I smash my head against the, the rear view camera. I'm sorry, against the headrest. Head and rest. now all of a sudden these muscles in the back of my neck, they're stronger and it's easier for me to stay upright. I got one more for you. Do I have time? Well, I just want to, yeah, I just want you to know that I do that now in the car because of you. I don't have, I should take a picture of that, but I do, I do some long trips with my wife. We're nomadic. So we drive quite a bit and yeah. I will, I'll hit that back of the headrest because of it. I'm like, look at my double chin. Like, and I'll do it just to have fun, but I'll do it because I know I can feel that activation. And I've had a challenge with my posture and sitting at a computer or like you said, with the phones, it's a challenge. So I love it. What's the next one? 
Okay, okay, so this one you can't do in your car. But next time you're standing near a wall, stand up next to the wall, put your hands in like a field goal, like position, you know, so. Right. Okay, and then make it so that your ankles, your butt, your shoulders, your elbows, and the back of your head, and your fists, uh, your knuckles, are all touching the wall. And then just lift your elbows up and down. All of those points have to touch the wall. Just lift your elbow up and down. So all these muscles, kind of where your scapula is, your shoulder blades are, all of them, you'll feel them. I'm telling you, you'll feel them. Actually, Dino, do that right now. Try that. Are your hands free? Yep, okay. yep. Now just pull them back. And then yep. now lift, your, lift your arms up and down. You feel that, oh, yeah. right? Oh, yeah, for sure. Yep. It feels, the first time I did this, I had no range of motion. Right my, elbows could, my elbows barely went up and down without me, like, separating from the wall. Now I have so much more. It actually, like, the strength is there. And it's not like I'm d- devoting five minutes a day. I'm devoting, like, 20 seconds right. to this. But I do it on a daily basis. And the way I remind myself is I, I, I take pictures of myself and I like just, I like tape them to my computer or I tape them to the TV at home or something like that. So that I'm like, oh, oh yeah, yeah. Okay, let, let's do these exercises real quick before we watch, you know, the next episode of whatever. So. Love that. I love those little reminders. I had a mentor once who uh, he talked about and I did it for a while. I haven't done it in, in, in probably about a year, but he had uh, automatic reminders on his uh, computer that would pop up that said, get off your butt, idiot, you know, for himself, where it was about getting up from the computer and walking around and getting that little bit of movement because you're at your computer all day long. But these are little reminders that simple to do, arms in the field goal position going back. My biggest problem is I have a bubble butt. And so I don't know if I would actually have the right post. No, you just I'm have, just you have more challenge now. You have to, you have to somehow, you have to, have to go back further. Yeah. <laughs> no, that's great. Those are really good uh, exercises and simple. Like we said earlier, it's the micro, not the actual habit. It's the micro habit, right? So that's, that's so important. So there, I got one more. Yeah. So um, most of the people listening to this are probably dentists or they are um, entrepreneurs of some yep. sort. Yep. Private practice so, owners. Yep. So in my office, we have an hour for lunch. Okay. Do I need an hour for my lunch? No, I, I can finish my lunch in like 15 minutes or something right. like that. And what I noticed is for a long time, I was developing a habit where I would finish eating my lunch and then whoever else was sitting at the table, we would gossip a little bit, but then eventually it would evolve into most of us looking straight down at our phones. Right. So I, I got a Fitbit like as a Christmas present or something like that. And I was like, oh, you know what? I'm going to just go for walks um, so I can get more steps because it feels better. Well, anyway, I live in Cleveland. It's very cold. So I would force myself to go for walks and I would put my gloves on and my hat and all that kind of stuff. But actually what, what turned the table for me, you know, as Charles Duhigg said, you know, when you develop a habit, there needs to be some, you need to get some reward at some point. Sure. And what I found was my favorite podcasts, that was an opportunity for me to put on my headphones and listen to my favorite podcast when I would go for a walk. I'm yep. not a really fast reader. And so um, I just finished the Harry Potter series, for example. It would have taken me two years to finish the Harry Potter series. But I wanted to relate to my kids. So I re- and going for a walk and listening to Harry Potter on my headphones, it's like, it's, it's like the ice cream in the middle of the day. It's like, right. I'm, yep. excited. I'm so excited. Oh, I can't wait. It's my last patient before lunch. I can't wait to eat my lunch and then go for my 
20 or 30, whatever minute walk and listen to my podcast or listen to my audible book. Yeah. Um, that has become such a pleasure. I don't even, I forgot that it's something good for me. Yep. You know, it's, yep. it, now it's like, oh, I can't wait to find out who killed the blah, blah, blah. You know, that, that so is a, a real pleasure. And it's actually, it was, a, it, it started off as a, as an alleged good habit. Right. Right. And it almost uh, start off as a have to, and now it's a want to. It's yeah. a get out there and get that. Break. I love that analogy. It's the ice cream in the middle of the day because it's your thing. It, it, it uplifts you. It gets you outside. It gets you prepared for the next part of your day. It's yeah. one of the reasons why I'm a big fan of uh, for teams doing middle of the day huddles, not just morning huddles, because it's like halftime, right? Like you're getting pumped up again. Where Maybe something Dina? went. Dina, well, when, when something. Yeah, absolutely. When something goes bad in the beginning of your day, maybe a patient goes off or it didn't go the way it was supposed to, you're behind schedule. Why are you not using the time in the middle of the day to rejuvenate yourself by going on that walk, but also with your team of, all right, guys, had a rough morning, but now let's get back on schedule. Everybody in. Yep. It's the halftime show, right? It's the moment that you get to actually go the next most busy part of your day, typically. That's excellent. So I love it. Yeah. Awesome. Well, man, tons of great information. We love this. Thank you so much for sharing that. We've come to the part of our show where we do our uh, six rapid fire questions, where it's just a matter of me throwing a question out there and you giving us your best quick answer that you can think of. Are you ready to play? I'm ready. All right. So first is what's the number one thing that you wish they would have taught you in graduate school or in school in general? In dental school, I wish they yeah. had told me that patients are forgiving of bad outcomes in dentistry if you're just nice and genuine. That you're not always gonna be perfect, but if you are nice and genuine, patients will forgive you. Love it, that's really powerful. That's really, and nobody said anything like that before, that's great. What's a book that you believe every private practice owner should read? Okay, have you heard of a guy named Dave Ramsey? Of course. Okay, he wrote a book called Entree Leadership. Yeah. And I thought it was, it, it was a life-changing book. It was a, it was a truly life-changing book for me and my wife. We, everything about our life changed for the better after reading that book. That is great. We will make sure we put that in the show notes. I actually haven't read it yet. I've heard of it and I, uh, I'm a huge audible listener pod, uh, podcast. And, and That's how I listened to it actually. It, yeah. was, it was the audible. Yeah. Oh, I'll definitely be downloading that. That's great. Uh, in my book, The Practice Rx, I focus a lot on team culture and team performance as the foundation of, for business growth. What do you see as the biggest challenge private practice owners are facing with their teams and their office culture? Well, I believe that the strongest personality often becomes the, <laughs> the strongest personality dictates the practice culture. You're 100% correct. That's not okay. That's not okay. The, st the person who was born with the loudest voice and the strongest personality, they are not entitled to make the office run based on their, their values, their whims, their personal culture. Their crankiness, their mood. A hundred percent. And a lot of times there's a stronger personality is going to have a less pleasant demeanor when they are stressed out or a, a more combative nature when things don't go that, that way. That can't be the practice culture. And so I've noticed that, you know, people come up to me and they're like, Gupta, you're like loud and you're gregarious. You obviously are the strongest personality in your office. You don't know what it's like. And 
That's true. I, I, I can't completely relate to a shy, quiet person who runs their office. But I can tell you that a shy, quiet person, if they, if they can make their culture, their per, if their particular personality shine in their office, that's going to be a very pleasant office. Because shy, quiet people, they have a gift that I don't have. And that is they create a calming presence. And having a dental practice or any type of small business that creates a calming presence is very important. The only problem, the only hurdle is that that shy, quiet person has to confront the strong personality and yep. let them know that the practice culture is going to be based on the values of the entire team and not the values of the, the strongest personality. Well, it's kind of like that, that there's Eastern philosophies around the, the quietest person can be the strongest if they actually own that, not shyness, but the quietness, the stillness. That's what I'm looking for, still. If they value their yes. own shyness, isn't it interesting? American culture doesn't value shyness. Right. If we start to realize that shy people are like killing it in life. Yep. This as much as loud people are. If people start to realize that they have potential, tremendous value as shy people. Yep. I'm, boy, I hope at some point in my life, I am able to instill that, that leadership in a, in a person who, who is, who's a quieter person. That's awesome. Hey, before we get to the last two questions, how can people reach out to you? Okay, so I have a website, my, my, not my, my dental office website, but my, my speaker website is called BeBetterSeminars.com. So it's like the word B, B-E, uh -huh. and then better, B-E-T-T-E-R, Seminars.com. .com. And actually, now that I think about it, I think I bought the, the domain called AnkarGuptaSeminars.com. So as long as you can pronounce, as long as you can spell those Indian names, A-N-K-U-R-G-U-P-T-A, seminars.com, or at least Google it or something like that. It's probably the easiest way. Well, we'll put both of those in the show notes and make sure. Oh, I appreciate that. Yeah, do that for sure. All right. What's the best advice you've ever received on life or business? Okay. This is a great one. I gave a talk. I gave a talk actually about um, eating better at a library about four years ago. And the, the uh, audience was wonderful. They were listening to everything. And then one lady said, the best, better medicine than your talk, than your, than your diet is to laugh every day. Mm. And I was like, laugh every day? You know, here I was like watching Breaking Bad and all these like hardcore homeland, <laughs> all these things that were like giving me bad dreams. And I was like, so I went home, I said, Nisha, why don't we do this? Before we go to bed, let's watch some Netflix of stand-up comedian. Let's make sure that we laugh every day. That worked out so well that now at, our, at the end of our morning huddles, every day at the end of the morning huddle, we have to watch a funny YouTube. Like, I love a, it. like a Jimmy Kimmel clip or something, or Ellen DeGeneres clip it. or something like that, just so that we make sure we check that box that we laugh every day. There is so much evidence to prove that when you are laughing, as a matter of fact, if you are in a, a good mood in a positive atmosphere, your learning capability goes up by 31%. Oh, so I don't know that. that make sure people awesome. are positive in there. Then it's 31% they've been able to measure. It's awesome. So what's a resource or a tool that you've used to grow your practice? So I have, okay, I want to give you two. So I talked to you about Entree Leadership, the book. Yes. It was fantastic. Yep. There's another book that I'd like you to hopefully put in your show notes. Yeah, absolutely. It's called, it's called Atomic Habits by yes. James Clear. 
Oh, have you read it? Yep, it's great. Awesome, isn't yeah. it? So that that was a that was quite a life changer for me as well. And then one thing that I would recommend is something called. So I I keep a planner with me, and that that's helpful for me in creating checklists. But there's a a planner journal from a company called Best Self, B-E-S-T-S-E-L-F. And then instead of .com, it's .co, .co. Uh, trust me, I, I have no like financial interest at all in <laughs> company at right. all. Yeah. But anyway, I bought this Best Self Planner a year ago and I was very intentional and very serious about making sure I followed the directions. You know, it asks you how you rate your life in terms of this and that, all your different buckets how you rate your life and what your plan is to up your rating. And then it, and then it takes you to your monthly calendar and you kind of write down your strategy on how you're going to up that rating for the month. What are the things you're going to be intentional about? Anyway, this planner has been an extremely valuable tool for me because I follow it. I say next month, next month is going to be the month in which I go to bed earlier. Um, and it's also going to be the month in which um, I uh, go for walks every morning. And this is also going to be the month. And I write those things down and I put little X's when I do those things for the day. And I realize that if you want to systematize personal improvement, it's got to be on paper. Yeah. And you've got to have the, you have to have the satisfaction of writing check marks or X's when you actually accomplish something. So true. As opposed to just saying, I'm going to eat better. And then one day you eat better and you're like, oh, yep. you made better. And then yep. there's no system. There's nothing systematic about that. This book has helped me systematize these things. Well, it's the number one way that like the one proven weight loss program in the world has always been and always will be write your food down in a food journal oh because God. you have that moment of writing it down and going, yep, I ate this, I did. And that personal accountability, the checklist, same idea, right? Like, okay, I did this and this and this. Yeah. I fulfilled the things that I said I wanted to do today. Look that it wasn't all up in my head and that's yeah. great. I love it. Well, those are great resources. I love those, man. Everything you've given us has been golden. Uh, it's no wonder you're doing the amazing work that you are doing in the world and uh, the best in the world of what you do. Thank you so much for sharing all of this amazing knowledge with us today. I appreciate it, Dino. It's it's really, it's truly an honor for me to to have the opportunity to contribute. To oh, that. the honor is all ours. Seriously, like I know that there are doctors who have uh, pulled over, have stopped on the treadmill to take notes and to write stuff down because you've done an amazing job and I really appreciate it. And for all of you listening, remember that the reason why we do this show is so that you can share those good and those best practices with the people around you, your colleagues, your families, your friends, and really take them into your own life and do the best you can. And as you know, in our show, our goal here is always to help you have more proactive, uh, be more proactive, more productive and more profitable in all areas of your life and business. So thank you so much for listening to the show and we will see you on the next episode. Thanks so much again for listening to the Propreneur Podcast. We really appreciate your support. If you haven't subscribed already, please make sure you do so. Also, if you feel like you might be a good fit for our podcast as a guest or know somebody who you think would be, go ahead and email us at dino at dinowatt.com. Again, thanks for support. We'll see you on the next episode.